Welcome to State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Our guest today is Hugh Deniel, founding member of the Woodbox Gang and the People vs. Hugh Deniel. Listen as we discuss his history as a musician, his journey with the Woodbox Gang, and his current project, The People vs. Hugh Deniel. Thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Josh. Thank you for inviting me. So, um, you have you've been around Southern Illinois in the music scene for quite a while now. It seems like it. Yeah. Um, but let's go back a little bit before that. How did you get into music in the first place? I guess I was probably about a I, probably freshman year of high school, and um, uh, my dad had a you know he played a little bit of guitar and did some songwriting. Um, he didn't pursue it too hard, but, uh, I had him to teach me some chords, you know, um, he was doing a radio show for WEBQ in Harrisburg and, uh, it was a pre-recorded show, but he played a lot of Bob Dylan songs and things. And, uh, uh, I got for whatever reason at age 13, really taken with Bob Dylan in particularly. And so that's a decent influence. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the age, at the time, you know, it was the early nineties. Uh, wasn't, he wasn't putting his best work out at the time then, but, uh, I started thinking about and, and kind of being interested in songwriting and, you know, in the folk song kind of way with where three chords can take you a, a pretty far, far place. And so, um, he taught me, I think a D, a G and an A and I, Picked up a Mel Bay book and uh, learned some more chords from there, and started just trying to write my own songs. And um, you know, and it, they were all very terrible as they should be at that time. But uh, uh, had some like-minded friends as well as my brother. He got into playing bass, and so uh, we played around, uh, you know, and got into as well as the the folk stuff. Uh, grunge and punk rock and things like that, you know, that uh, full drum sets and, you know, loud amplifiers mixed in with that. And so we we made some music and did some things. And so we were, you know, I grew up in Harrisburg. And uh, even in high school, from time to time, we'd come over to Carbondale to like the Soundcore Battle of the Bands and stuff at, uh, at T-Birds, which is uh, the bar underneath ABC Liquors over there. And, um, and then at the Hangar 9 as well. And so going over to the big city of Carpendale was uh, was a pretty exciting thing. Well, you know, going back to, to high school and, and talking about it. And, and, and what, what era was this? Uh, I'm going to say 93, 90, 95 or so. I graduated awesome. high school in 95. And also, yeah, it was around in there, you know. And um, uh, it just started when, you know, we're able to, to drive and everything, coming over to Carbondale as often as possible just to to kind of hang around and be going over to Plaza Records and going over to, to Second Chance Records and things and buying a lot of music and just being a part of the, the cool college town, you know. And uh, we kept, you know, kept playing and doing some things and uh, then um, moved away uh, for in the late 90s for, for a couple of years, I guess. And... Um, I guess that was after I dropped out of SIU, you know, once I left, I, I started SIU right after high school and uh, was in the music program and did some things. And uh, what were you studying in the music program? Music at that point? business, actually. And um, so I had some fun classes that were pretty basic 
stuff as far as just introduction to piano and things and learned a great deal about music theory, which I didn't apply too much before. And so uh, one of my classmates was Alex Kurt, and um, we hung out a little bit and even wrote some songs together. And uh, so it, I dropped out of school, moved away. He moved away for a bit, and then we both came back to Southern Illinois, and uh, he wanted to form a band. And so my brother and I and uh, uh, were already kind of playing a little bit, and so we've got this thing called, we're calling it the Woodbox Gang. You wanted to come join this? I'm like, sure. And so, uh, you know, he was into uh, some jug band kind of stuff with the washboards and gut bucket bass and, and some other stuff like that. And, uh, you know, with his, his talent coming into that, we really started heavy with the Woodbox Gang in I guess, late 99, early 2000. And so, and so how did you guys come up with the name the Woodbox Gang? Where did that come from? Well, there's an old picture of my brother and I that my dad took. I'm probably four. He, my brother's probably six. And we were actually sitting in the, the uh, wood box. You know, we had wood-burning stoves. And so we were small enough to both be able to, to sit in there. And it, he just thought it was a, a nice picture. And so he called the picture the Woodbox Gang, you know, growing up and, and all. And I thought it, it always kind of stuck with me. But then it also was like the acoustic instruments, the hollow wooden boxes. And, you know, gang sounded kind of fun. That it was, you know, there's a handful of bands that use gang, but not not too many. And it, it just seemed fitting, you know. And it, it, it stuck pretty good. <laughs> well, and it was it was a notable uh, title. Like, you know, it's something that stuck with you after you after you heard of the Woodbox Gang. That's cool. That's that's what we were going for. So uh, we we felt pretty good about it. And it also it also gave a, almost like a sentimental feel, mm-hmm. um, like the something that comes into my mind from just the the phrasing of the Woodbox Gang is like the little rascals right. and like, and it's just a fun, uh, a fun thought and a fun feel that that comes along with just the name itself before we even get to the music. Right. Yeah. That. In some ways, it might even be a little disarming compared to to some of the the music we've we've made and all, and and that's kind of fun, you know, especially even in traveling on the road as we did for a while. Uh, some folks what might not know what they were in for just by the name itself, and that was always pretty fun. Yeah, to, you know, especially when you're somewhere far away from home and playing to people who've never heard you before. And so Woodbox Gang was just a three-piece, or was there a fourth member there as well? It fluctuated. Early on, there was, I think, as as many as seven, which was, uh, you know, and we kind of trimmed things down. By the end of our uh, touring, it was a a four-piece. And um, other than some songs with a washboard, we didn't have uh, percussion. Uh, Alex played some songs with a washboard and a stomp box or, you know, a kick uh, to have a, a kick drum sound, but it was a uh, it was a hollow suitcase that he had a, a kick pedal uh, applied to. Uh, in previous incarnations, we did have a full drum set drummer from time to time, and sometimes uh, even on the albums. But uh, as far as as far as the end core group, it was a four piece, and so it sounds like easier to fit in a van um, <laughs> from a. Uh, audio standpoint, it sounds like it would be a, a very different feel with a with a full drum kit, really kind of engaged the entire time. It it did make a different sort of a sound, and um, in some ways, you know, 
it could almost put us into that jam band genre, which we played a lot of jam band festivals and things and all, which was was fine uh, because, you know, we added a little bit of diversity in there. But the drum set and the full drums kind of put us in there more than, than the sparse percussion. Um, it, you know, it was it was more instrument driven. And the dr- drums have a way of overpowering some things with that the right kind of, uh, you know, precision and um, by just having minimal drums, we were able to make some more subtle sounds and things that uh, were pretty effective like that. And, so. and the, the, um, the newest iteration of a, of a stomp box is just a, literally a, a little square that you step on. Yeah, there's and, some things like that, yeah. And I've just recently come across those with some of the touring groups that have come through. Mm-hmm. And I there's something that I love about the technology of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, as you're looking at the stage, you, you kind of sit there and go, where in the world is that sound coming yeah, from? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of fascinating when you can see the, see the suitcase that, that Alex had. You could see it move, you know, had a hole cut in for it for a microphone to be able to go in as needed, but it would vibrate and all. But uh, it certainly didn't look like an instrument when we were <laughs> you're hauling stuff in. It looks like a thing that holds equipment, you know. And so, uh, you know, the thing with a stomp box, uh, you can be playing an, another instrument and, and, you know, not just happen to be, be the drummer playing. And so uh, they do seem to be uh, a lot more popular in the last several years. The the one-man band kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there, you see a lot of that for sure. You know, and uh, that was, that, that's that been interesting to see over the recent years that that become more of a common thing. <laughs> yeah, but you guys started with it a long time ago. 22 years ago or yeah. something like that, so. Pretty pretty far ahead of the curve on that one. I like, I like to think so, you know. Um, and now they it. sell suitcases with a drum head built into them. and with, right. Um, and, and it's become a, you know, not a, not a suitcase that you've cut a hole into yourself, but right. it's become a, an actual quote unquote instrument that you can buy that looks like a suitcase. Yeah. And there were sound people out on the road that were so, you know, they were so skeptical before they hooked it up to this thing. What kind of junk did you bring in here for me to mic up? And they were really impressed at the sound that yeah. came out of the suitcase. And so, uh, I assume back then it was pretty few and far between that any yeah. of them had ever mic'd up a suitcase. Exactly. And, Mo- and even the, the, the sound of miking up a suitcase sounds kind of preposterous. but Yeah. <laughs> and it has to be a vintage suitcase. These, these days, that's, you, you, you won't get too far <laughs> with these cloth things on wheels. But, uh, you know, finding the vintage suitcases, that's, uh, that's where the sound is. That's really <laughs> cool. Um, how did you guys land on the sound that was the Woodbox Gang? I mean, it was kind of a, yeah, a, a mix between some old-timey uh, roots music and, and folk music and jug band stuff with a thoughtfulness towards, you know, some some punk rock and things. And early on, we used to do a number of covers just because, but we would play Ramon songs and um, Sex Pistols and, and stuff like that. You know, it, there was this 20-some years ago, I think it, the the genre has gotten very old and tired, but the idea of playing heavier music from an acoustic uh, position, you know, some people have made a career out of that. Uh, the 
the novelty of that goes fairly quickly in my, you know, gets, gets a little old and sour. Uh, but at the time people really got a kick out of that. And, um, well, I feel like the most recent iteration of that, um, with mass popularity would be postmodern jukebox who took a number of modern music, modern hits and have taken them back into the jazz era. Okay. And, and play them as big band jazz. Okay. Um, yeah, and with and, with mass popularity, right? Yeah, that probably a little more sophistication than just uh, you know playing ACDC songs as a bluegrass band. You know, that's <laughs> it's amusing for about ten minutes, and yeah. then it's like, all right, uh, where the the shtick is what holds it together as far. Uh, and then you know, but early on we did some of that, and that was that was okay. We you know um, we used to play a. Oh, I, I believe it was the Gourds were the band that first did it. Uh, the song "Gin and Juice," the, the Juice, the Snoop Dogg tune, but played in a bluegrassy, rootsy way. That you know, um, it was very fun. But uh, a lot of other bands did it as well, and we certainly were were not the first. But we definitely early on kind of capitalized on that. But you know, after a bit, it, it does feel like a silly novelty and all. But by doing some of that, I think. Um, when we'd move towards, you know, just doing all of our own stuff, I think it kind of had an influence on uh, mixing the, the roots music with heavier, um, you know, punk influenced things. And because that's the, the music we listen to, but both, both stuff, things like that, you know, and um, I don't, it wasn't a conscious effort, but it just seemed like what we were naturally driven to kind of making a more of a hard edged, uh, people called us bluegrass, which I don't know was accurate, but it was okay. Um, you know, a harder edged approach than uh, some of some other folks who were making some, you know, perhaps lovelier sounds. You know, and um, but it 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 kind of worked out for us, and and uh, and getting uh, hooked up with Jello Biafra on the Alternative Tentacles. You know, a iconic record label that you know has of course plenty of punk rock stuff, but a great deal of rootsy Americana stuff as well. And so um, I think he'd be, he liked where we were coming from. And there's a, you know, a drive for authenticity that we were going forth that I think resonated. And so mixing those worlds, playing a bluegrass festival and then going the next day and playing a, you know, some kind of a club out on the road that uh, it was pretty cool to be able to do both of those things. And so which came first there, uh, going out on the road or the label? Um, and and how how was one or the other prompted afterwards? Well, we were out on the road before Alternative Tentacles re-released our, our album Drunk as Dragons. And so we'd been touring pretty heavily for a few years at that point. We initially met uh, Jello because he... He came to SIU to give a talk back in, uh, I believe it must have been 2002 or 2003. And uh, that night we had a show at Hangar 9. And so I was kind of bummed that I wanted to go hear his talk, you know. But uh, fortunately, some friends encouraged him to, to go check out the band that was playing at the Hangar 9. And um, as a matter of fact, that was a night we were playing as a benefit for the Charlie Berger documentary that WSIU was going to produce. And so, uh, but he was impressed with the band. He was nice, just a, a nice guy. And um, we gave him 
all of our you know albums. I think we had a, two or three at that time, and uh, kind of stayed in touch over the next several years. Um, and uh, then they started selling our old albums on consignment online at the Alternative Tentacles site. And uh, we wound up on a tour, took us out there to San Francisco. And so he came out to the show and we wound up, um, he said, you know, do you have a place to stay tonight? Well, not really. Like, well, you've got plenty of room. You're welcome to stay at my place. So we hung out there and um, <laughs> I got a little too much to drink in me and, and uh, just asking obnoxious fanboy questions about the dead Kennedys to the, till I finally passed out, I think. But, um, uh, after that, you know, just hanging around, they, he decided he really wanted to re-release our album drunk as dragons. And so, um, we talked about that and, and they, you know, put up the money and insisted that we had to print the lyrics in there and we had to fill up all the time on the CD. So we uh, did some old songs and did some re-recordings of them. And uh, that was a great relationship. It was, you know, got a lot of press and a lot of radio out of it. Um, but that was that was a result of of touring, and but then kind of maintaining that relationship that was serendipitous for him to be have done the talk at SIU back years before. And so it was a it was some pretty fortunate timing. <laughs> yeah, that's sure. great. And so um, you said that the touring came before that. At, at what point did you go from being a local Carbondale band, Southern Illinois band, to saying, we're going to go out on the road and we're going to give this a shot? Uh, it was about 2005. Now, prior to that, for a few years, we had played as many weekends as possible, going out of town and playing weekends. And we had a booking agent who... Uh, you know, he was a fan, and he said, "I've got this this festival, this kind of anchor festival in Montana, and uh, there's a couple of pretty decent shows. I can get you right around there, but in order to make this make any sense, you're gonna need to be out for several weeks. And um, honestly, if you guys are not at this point ready to make your move and uh, basically change your your whole situation and quit your full-time jobs that are holding you uh, to do things. I'm not going to put all this work into making this big tour happen. And so it, you know, it took some, some contemplation. And well, that, that sounds like a pretty scary leap. It was. And um, not everybody in the band uh, did it. And so the band changed some members. And so, um, that was kind of a heavy thing, but, uh, you know, we, we, we went out and we did, you know, for that first tour for about oh, a couple of months or something like that, took us to a lot of different places and, uh, we did, we did pretty good, you know, uh, it, it worked out pretty well. And so we were of course looking forward to the next one and the next one. And we did that for a few years, you know, and, um, well, and it, yeah. I think a lot of people hear being a touring musician and think of a big glamorous lifestyle and think of, oh, it must be great to be out on the road, um, you know, just cruising from city to city. And um, and uh, there was a scene last night we had, uh, we're recording this the day after the Robert Cray band played here. Mm -hmm. 
world-class musicians and um and there there was about uh two and a half hours between the end of their show and the time that the bus left right took an hour to get their gear out for the crew to load everything up load the bus up but then Mm -hmm. after that some of the band members and crew members as i was you know you know we were wrapping up the night i saw them they were they had a little bluetooth speaker Mm -hmm. and they were literally sitting on the back steps of the building um with drinks and some solo cups by a dumpster yeah, and and that was their party, and that was their festivity for the night before they had to hop in their bunks and sleep while they were on the road. That sounds um, pretty luxurious. <laughs> yeah, a whole um, hour to drink by the dumpster. <laughs> and and yeah, and to me, common. that was yeah. the epitome because you've got these world class musicians, mm-hmm. and the highlight of their night is going to be you know sitting there with a the solo cup and a Bluetooth speaker, enjoying each other's company next to a dumpster. Yeah, that that definitely rings a bell there were times you know you would play a show and be done uh at a at a, like a bar or somewhere you know that was closed down at two o'clock like you know i'd take an hour or stuff whatever to load out an hour and a half or, or or whatever and uh the next show was uh you know eight or 12 hours away that uh you really had to you know drive through the night to to make it and uh the the glamour and 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 luxury and the freedom and all that, that those ideas that you might have in your mind before you actually are doing it are it doesn't tend to work out that way so much um, you know it's a lot of driving or writing and uh, seeing a lot of things that you don't get to stop and enjoy you know uh, as when possible if we were out west we would make a point to we are going to drive through this national park. We're, we don't have a lot of time to spend, but we are going to see these redwood trees. We are going to see these mountains and, um, you know, but you're, you're, you're not seeing it from the most comfortable positions, you know, and I can't even imagine riding on a bus to do that, you know, in a van. And, um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, that, that is, it is a different kind of a lifestyle than, um, uh, than, than a lot of people would would imagine and it takes it takes a real dedication to your craft and and to your passion to to pursue it and to and to be willing to to put yourself in that position and and to to travel and to live like that for sure and you know if the if the shows aren't rewarding in some way uh, then it can be a very uh, unpleasant lifestyle for sure or if people are not getting along or somebody's having a harder time than somebody else uh it can be kind of grueling at that point so you it it takes the right people to be close-knit enough on the road often far away from home with and relying on each other to to make it and if it's not the right kind of personality it's going to be trouble um we we had pretty good luck overall though you know I was talking to um, Steve Hornbeek out of uh-huh. Anna, and he was he was saying that in all of his years traveling and touring with huge artists, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of people that have the talent mm-hmm. to be able to tour with artists, but it's having the personality that matters. Yeah. And being able to spend 
months on end with each other. Exactly. Those are the, those are the people that are doing it now. And it's not the people necessarily with the most talent, or at least the most talent is not the person that you want to be with if they don't if they don't have what it takes to <laughs> endure the stuff. Yeah. And so. So how long did you? How long did Woodbox really do the tour lifestyle? You you started in around two thousand five. Yeah, so really, I mean, only about, I guess, four years or so. And it all came to an abrupt end in uh, October of 2009. And so, uh, but, you know, it, there were some tours, that, you know, where you could take off work for, uh, take your vacation or whatever for a couple of weeks. You know, that stuff starting in 2003 or four and all, but then doing it full time from 2005 on. You know, so I guess just four years, uh, but you know, a lot of, a lot of miles on the road, a lot of, a lot of great shows, a lot of great memories, and um, I definitely have no regrets of those times. <laughs> so, um, the current project that you're really here to talk about today is the People vs. You, Daniil. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are getting ready to release your second album. Yes. Under the people of Verse You, Daniil? That's correct. Our first album we did in 2019, a CD called Gas Station Sandwiches. And this is a, a seven inch vinyl, a 33 RPM speed, two songs on each side. Uh, and it's through um, River to River Community Records. And so this is the first time I've ever had any vinyl whatsoever. I mean, we talked Woodbox Gang for years about doing some vinyl, but it's comes with a price tag to do that. So this is a four-song, seven-inch vinyl called Ope. Ope is the title. and uh, How very Midwestern. Oh, yes. (laughs) And these are songs they wrote during pandemic lockdowns and all uh, that, you know, for the most part in 2020. And so, uh, but it's full band on it and um, a little bit of a different kind of a perspective than some of the like well then the, the previous people versus album this is a song or, the, or these songs are are not about going places and doing things because nobody was doing that at the time and it really is kind of uh, more so than than previous uh songs and things i've been involved with kind of um reflective and and thinking about perspectives as opposed to a story of somebody going and doing something. And so um, a lot of it comes out of staring at screens and watching the world kind of go crazy in a lot of different ways uh, as it did two years ago and and to to this day (laughs) to a certain degree. But it kind of comes from from that and, uh, you know, how people were dealing with a world that was upside down for the first time in a hundred years regarding a, a global pandemic and uh, the elements that came out of that and how, you know, people are react to each other and definitely the, the social media influence of it and all. So I think overall it's a good collection of, of songs that, um, you know, I think people are going to enjoy and uh, we'll, we'll be putting that out here this week and having our release, um, on October 2nd in, in Carbondale at PK's. Our friends, the Whistle Pigs, are going to be opening up the show. And so, oh, they're a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Great folks, great band. and 
getting to play with them is a, is a rare treat. Mm-hmm. So what I love about, about this album and this project is that it's really come out of a pandemic, which is um, from early on in the pandemic when, you know, whenever people were locked up in their houses, all of a sudden, all the musicians were off tour. Mm-hmm. Um, the local musicians weren't even, didn't have anywhere to play. The bars weren't open. The restaurants weren't open. Right. Um, uh, there was a parallel drawn in my mind to, um, to the Black Plague mm-hmm. and then uh, the Renaissance period that came after that. Yeah. Um, and, and so I love hearing that, that your music came out of it, which you, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming pandemic or not, you would have been writing music anyway, but the the pandemic literally kind of changed the way that you were approaching your music. Yeah. Um, because, because you were at home and it it created that introspection. For sure. I, I will say that, um, a lot of, several of these songs, um, came out of uh, what was called Closed Mic Night. And it was, uh, it used to be um, Trey Sombrays up in, t- in Carbondale. Every Tuesday would be open mic night. And uh, it was a good gathering place for, for a lot of folks, local musicians and people that would just be able to come and play some music. And, and then you just hang out with your, your friends and your people and people would play with each other and do things or play a new song or an old song. And it was just a good time. So when everything got shut down, they started doing it by way of uh, Facebook, and so the hashtag closed mic night, and so every Tuesday, a, a whole lot of us would would put out videos, and so it would always be uh, supporting some kind of a, a local need. And of course, uh, when the pandemic started, there was all kinds of you know whether it was the Good Samaritan House or you know the Warming Center and and everything that just needed money and funds, and so on Tuesday you you would see so many videos come out of things. And I wanted to just make sure that I had a new song, you know, and I didn't keep it up, but that deadline of coming up, uh, each Tuesday, uh, several of these songs came out of it. And so while the pandemic had its own inspiration for some things, having a deadline when everything sort of shut down, it really the catalyst to, to make there be the songs, you know, and I was playing them solo, but, um, as time went on, you know, we st- would get together and be at far ends of, of some room, you know, masked up and, and playing and, and working on the stuff. And uh, uh, eventually got to that point or outdoor rehearsals, which was kind of fun if the weather was OK, you know, uh, setting up some drums and in, in somebody's driveway or whatever. We do what you got to do. You know, we uh, otherwise you just go crazy. But th- that's where several of these songs came out of that. Uh, that deadline of putting out a video for for the closed mic night. So that's that's a, a fun thing to be a, a part of. And, you know, it's still going on. So at least it's now it's back to in person. So, yeah. <laughs> and it always supporting some kind of a local need, you know, for, for tips and things. And I'm, I love what, what you said about the deadline and, and that how much a creative person when when put under pressure can really find a groove yeah and 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 really crank something out oh yeah 
if you have all the time in the world, uh, that's not very helpful, I've found. <laughs> you know, um, it's almost like if you make a, if you book time in a studio, you have to rearrange your life to make sure to be able to do that and go be productive while you're there and get something done. It costs money, it has time, there's limitations. You're probably going to be, uh, have some pretty good results. If you live in a studio or if you live in a place that you're, it's always there, it's always available, you don't tend to get as a, a lot done, I've found, in, in, uh, it, in, you know, in myself as well as others talking about that. But having that deadline, you know, it is kind of crucial, you know. Um, the albums are going to be back from the manufacturer. We need to have a cover. Okay, we got three weeks to figure it out. Let's do this. All right, cool. I think we got it. All right, uh, the show is in a week. We need to make sure we're up on this song. Okay, you know, and just stuff like that. And there's when there's reasons to be held accountable. It's it's a good it's a good thing. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> so what? Uh, for you, stylistically, personally, what is the difference and 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 in tone and feel between people versus you, Nadeel, and your your longtime project, Woodbox Gang? Well, um, I mentioned Alex Kurt before, and uh, he ha- he you know played a lot of percussion and a lot of other instruments and things, and he's a a great singer and arranger, and um, he he kind of made Woodbox Gang have this kind of um, heavier drive of a sound. I think um, there are some people versus songs that, uh, and some solo songs that didn't cut it as Woodbox Gang songs. Not because they were not good, but it just didn't really fit with. Uh, the sound we're going for in Woodbox Gang. And um, that was a very strong collaboration in Woodbox Gang with Alex and myself. And that's, I think, how that uh, sound came about. His skill sets and mine molded together pretty good. Um, Whereas the people versus, um, it's, I mean, the the musicians are are incredible, you know, and and play in ways that... uh, a lot of people don't, but it's not as much of a push and pull, I guess. Um, you know, we we are doing almost everything is is a good idea, and to, you know, and and there's nothing that's really cut. It's almost like, I guess, if your name is in the band itself, everybody is pretty well assuming that I know what I'm doing <laughs> for, for better or for worse and there's no and people don't really feel like you know what's Hugh this song sucks what are we doing here let's just scrap this and do nobody's saying that even though maybe the, there's times that they should but uh, uh, the sound itself it, I think is is less of a, a hard driving uh, punk rock rhythms you know there's less of that in the people versus mm-hmm. band. And uh, and I, I don't know that there's, I'm saying either one is better or not. It's just different. And and it's kind of exciting 
and, and I, to to kind of touch on what you were saying, there's there really is kind of an ease to the sound and the feel mm-hmm. of people verse. Um, when when I started listening to it just today, I really I was taken back. My wife and I traveled to Ireland eight nine years ago. Okay. Spent a couple of weeks there. Every evening we had a meal in a tavern or or, or you know a, a, the neighborhood pub. Right. And there was always music. Mm-hmm. But there's an ease to that music in that pub. Yeah. And the feel and the sound of your music, it, it isn't necessarily, it isn't Irish music. It is an Irish pub music, but it's got that same ease to it. And it took me back to that exact same feeling. Very cool. Of, uh, of traveling through Ireland and to where that, that music and is such, so woven into their everyday culture. Right. That it's just easy and it's there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the feeling I got whenever I, whenever I, uh, whenever I hit you on Spotify and, and started listening to it and got into it. And, and I never lost that feeling throughout your last album and then the single that you've just released. Um, very, very cool. I, I've always been a big fan of, you know, some, the, the folk music of the sixties that, you know, the Irish bands like, uh, the Clancy brothers and Tommy Makem and, uh, the Dubliners and, and all that, uh, we used to listen to that kind of stuff a lot, and we used to play um, some Irish tunes and all, and um, like at the Yellow Moon Cafe in Cobden on a St. Patrick's Day, and we would play under the name Pete Moss and the Blarney Brothers, <laughs> and we played Irish <laughs> tunes, and uh, but also a huge fan of the Pogues, mm-hmm. you know, and um, they really, you know, combined some of that kind of traditional Irish music with. Uh, you know, with punk rock and things. And so some of those rhythms of like the, the songs in a, in a three, four time or kind of a stilted uh, mm-hmm. jig or whatever, it's kind of uh, ingrained in me a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's definitely in a, uh, there's an instinct there. Uh, yeah. And I, I you know. can really, you can really hear that influence coming through and I, cool. I loved it. it it's great. I'm glad to hear that. I appreciate um, it. And it, like I said, I just love that. It's just so easy to listen to and there's an ease to it and there's a, there's something comfortable about it. Well, I'm glad to hear, and uh, we're very proud of it, and uh, proud of the proud of the music on, uh, you know, and the arrangements, and and you know, there's uh, Greg who plays the drums. He played uh, plays bass in Woodbox Gang, and uh, he is uh, an excellent arranger, down to some minutia of things of things that I would never even think about uh, a, a small little change that seems almost superficial on the surface. And then you do it and it's like, wow, that's, that's really good. That's a really good thing that I would have never thought of. And um, so there was definitely some tinkering in, with, with the arrangements of these songs, uh, the, the four from the, from the new record, if it jumped back two years to see my old video of me playing them for a closed mic night, when they'd been about a week old, vastly different, um, from the full band uh, that we uh, arrangement and what we have on the record, and so I, would, well, I wouldn't want to say there's no collaboration on the on the people versus stuff, but um, that's that's fun and I, it's cool that you kind of picked out some of that uh, Irish influence of, yeah. of that because that some iconic songs. From, yeah, and you know, and even in the past in some of your vocal phrasing, it's there as well. And okay, it's really yeah. it's really awesome. I appreciate that. So. This weekend, 
October 2nd. Mm-hmm. It's Sunday. It's not Sunday, a, October Not a 2nd. typical day for, for music at PK's, but uh, it'll be earlier, I think, 7 or 8, and the, the whistle bigs are going to start, and then we'll... We'll play on. You know, don't have to close down the bar at two, but you're, of course, welcome to hang out and have fun after. But yeah, this Sunday, October second. And when is the actual album release through River to River? Is that all at the same time? Is that all coordinated for Sunday? Or yeah, yes, I. Uh, or if if it's not actually Friday, the day before, uh, we have the single out on Spotify yep. right now. Um, I believe. I believe it'll either be a couple of days ahead or it'll be actually on Sunday that you can get it digitally live. And, and uh, of course, we'd love to, to put a, a physical copy into everybody's hands as well. Yeah, and I'll, I'll link to the uh, River to River Community Records Excellent. site where they can buy that vinyl um, once it's released. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sunday, October 2nd, for sure, they'll be able to find it there. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, we'll link to your uh, People vs. You, Daniil, oh, uh, Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and I really look forward to the to to hearing this full album come out. That's I think you'll enjoy. It. I think I think you definitely will. And can I say uh, the following week is an exciting uh, show with the uh, the Little Grassy Get Down at Touch of Nature. Both Woodbox Gang uh, and the People Versus will be playing. This will be the Woodbox Gang's first show in three years. So, um, and for the first time I've seen couple of those guys in in three years so uh oh. if uh check out the little grassy get down touch of nature october 7th through the 9th and it'll be a great time and a lot of a lot of great musicians play in that too wonderful you thank you for spending some time with me today thanks for coming over here we appreciate you and we i really enjoyed hearing your journey through music in southern illinois i appreciate it josh it's good to be here with you Thank you for joining us for State of the Arts in Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center featuring local artists, artisans, musicians, arts organizations, and arts events in Southern Illinois, as well as touring artists coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Special thanks to Hugh Daniel for his time speaking with us today, and a special thank you to Wingtips for providing this episode's soundtrack. Join us every Thursday morning for a new episode on Facebook, YouTube, or whatever audio podcast service you prefer. And now for Shrinking by Wingtips in its entirety.
forcing tears, but I don't.